Greetings, true Shakespeareancers. This is Morgan Taylor, your host and webmaster of Brainerd. After a little hiatus, we're back with the Shakespeareicon Spotlight interview podcast thing. Okay, as promised, long overdue, part two of my conversation with the great Elaine Harris Donovan. So let's waste no time. Let's just get right to it. Here is the second half of my conversation with Elaine. So in one of your photographs of your 1991 itinerary of t- for touring, um, your copy had, beside every show date, listed what you wore that night. Exactly. I wrote down what outfit I wore. So, you know, it's like you don't want someone to think you only got one shirt or something. <laughs> so you wrote that so the next time you went to that town, you wouldn't wear that same thing? Yep. Okay. That's what I, that's what I thought. That's awesome. <laughs> I can't guess what someone's experience is like. So, yeah. Okay. Applehead Man's out. Dan's in the band. You guys are starting to play gigs. The buzz is happening. And you you are having a lovely outpouring of new material, a lot of stuff that's getting ready to possibly be recorded on Are You Experienced? And Toolmaster shows up, and it feels like everybody knows that's a pretty special one, just right out of the gate. Um, did you do you have any memories of like the first time you worked that up and be like, oh yeah, this is this is this, we got something here. Um, hmm. So I don't have real specific memories, but I do remember about Toolmaster that it was a song, my recollection, that just fell into place easily. And I always felt like the songs that just sort of fell into place easily and everyone knew how to treat it and what to play ended up being the best songs. And we had others that we tried this and we tried that and you know, like you're baking a recipe and you add more sugar or, or more of something else. And it's mm-hmm. just like, it's never quite right. We right. definitely had some never quite right songs, but um, again, my opinion as not the songwriter. <laughs> well, no, I mean, that's, that's sort of what, you know, Matt was saying that, yeah, some songs just no matter how much you tinkered, it's sort of, okay, well that one's, that's kind of where, you know, we'll just move on from that one. Uh, yeah, it's sort of, okay, well, it's time to record a new album. We have this list, and the uh, these are the best ten or whatever, so we'll just go with those. Coming out of that into your recording, Are You Experienced, Jay Lee has the new, better-sounding studio. Yes. Oh, you know what happened during that recording? Tell me. We saw lightning strike really close by. It was amazing. I'd never been so close to a, a lightning strike. We were we were at Jay's studio. We were taking a break. It was just some, you know, super torrential downpour, big mega thunderstorm. Mm-hmm. And I think because it was kind of hot and humid because it was summer, we had the door open and me and John were standing in the, the doorway kind of looking out because it's just, you know, a sheet of rain. Yeah. And out of the blue, this you know, explosion of a lightning bolt hit 
the alley across and it couldn't have been maybe only like you know 15 yards away and I'd never seen anything like it it made a huge it I didn't realize so, that lightning bolts were fat and thick right and, and it was like the loudest thing I've ever heard and it, was, and it wasn't instantaneous like it zzz, zzz, in the ground it was it was like alive and buzzing and you could see the little tentacles of lightning coming out from it. It was like, bam. And I jumped, I mean, not even on purpose, just reflex. I jumped back about three feet. I think I knocked John over almost probably jumped too. And then when it stopped raining, we went out and looked in the alley and there was like a good, like three foot crater from where the lightning had struck. It was amazing. Wow. And yeah, you so you must have actually felt the shock of it, like you could feel it. Yeah, it was it was it was really something because you know this was no like skinny white line in the sky. I mean, it was right there. So wow. In fact, we might have stopped recording because of the storm. I don't know. <laughs> now that I think of it, but um, it's a good thing you weren't recording on hard drives that would have could have gotten zapped out. <laughs> but um. So yeah, so you, that was summer of '88, because uh, I d did narrow down the release date of Varsha Experienced October of '88. Now, what's interesting to me is the fact that you guys were already seem like you're already having label interest as you're recording Varsha Experienced. Does that sound right to you? Like interest from record labels? I am trying to remember. Um... Because if you if that came out. John was saying you guys chose A&M at that Huntington show, which was mid-November. So you must have been talking to them for a few weeks, right? To different labels back in October. Longer than that. I don't, I'm not going to pin, I can't pinpoint exact dates, but we were, I guess we were getting label interest. And we, I don't remember which came first, whether we, in, labels were interested in us or um, local people that knew how to shop bands to labels knew that they could get us on a label, mm. um, specifically Larry Osterman. And there was another guy whose name I forget, sorry, other guy, uh, his partner. And I think it might have been a debate. I don't know. I'm just sort of speculating from my mm. memory, but whether to – you know, continue on the local label or try and go bigger. And we made an arrangement with Larry that he was going to actually shop us. So the label shopping process was was far longer than a couple of weeks. Went on, I think, a few. It seemed like a few months. Mm -hmm. Could be wrong, but I. It just seemed like it was a long, drawn out process. Okay. Well, if. I mean, if that's the case, then that is, yeah, well, if you're recording uh, our experience in the summer of 88, it comes out in October of 88, you, and you, so there must have been like, while you're recording, you know, things looked promising from that standpoint. So there must have been kind of that optimistic spirit in the air with you guys. Well, there was always a combat optimism. <laughs> oh, yeah? Like a, a no. Optimism and, like, the reality of it. You put those words together. No. Um, so my – I don't think that the label 
talk started until after Aisha experience was released. My rec I my recollection is that we were we were getting what happened first. Okay, so we do Aisha experience. We have we're growing a a local a live show audience. We first signed up with um, a booking agent booking agency with Dave Ness and Chip Hooper. And and I think that was what that so they were on a label, they were a booking agency. That was probably during recording Irish Experience. And then we started they really drove got us spiraling outward and widened our geographic area for the live shows. And we started playing a bigger and bigger swath of the Midwest. And it wasn't until after we got uh, acclaim from the live shows beyond Minneapolis that we started to get any of the national attention. Mm -hmm. We were, when we could sell as many tickets in Chicago and Kansas City and Lawrence and we're doing all these colleges and that was post Aisha experienced and then the label the label shopping started. Well you must have been doing the that college circuit in eighty eight then. Like that's must have been when that started. Well, I don't know, but so eighty eight with Huntsville, we had decided to go with A and M. Yeah, and that's and that was two weeks after our experience had had come out. That it doesn't like, sound right. No, I mean I I could you know I could be wrong on my dates. There's a couple. I think didn't Irish experience come out in eighty seven? No. Well, maybe there was a big long gap between recording it and it getting out. That could be. You must yeah. If you re- must have been recording it through most of eighty eight then, or earlier in eighty eight, because if yeah if it comes out in October, you must have had must have been you know it takes a month to reproduce it and then go keep going back months and months puts you in like recording in spring of 88 probably right does that sound logical i guess yes i don't know now i'm totally confused (laughs) (laughs) that's fine so but yeah so you are getting signed and then i noticed in that yeah in your postcard list you say you know you're writing back you're writing back home that uh we chose a&m and then so that was fall of 88 in it'll be an entire year before a year and a half almost before uh, across the universe would come out, but between the time you were ha- like okay we're gonna get signed, and across the universe coming out there was like this flood of new material, and a lot of that material would even go onto Lulu, um, and that's that's another cool thing about uh, the archive is is sort of figuring out where things appeared uh, chronologically. I mean, at least for me, that's that's my favorite part of getting to geek out on the dates. Need some carbon dating. I know, right? <laughs> how, how, how can you find it? Well, that's the thing is like um, there are there's so many shows that we don't have up there. Um, but yeah, so I'm wondering if like if you have, I don't know if you have any old cassettes or... They're down in the basement next to my wedding dress. Yeah? <laughs> when did you guys get married? Oh, 1999. Okay. We're not quite... We're not there yet, chronologically. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So, yes, yeah, so moving along to... Um, you guys know you are uh, got this record deal coming. And you're just touring your butts off, right? 
Yep. And you're just, you're doing mostly focused in the Midwest college towns. Why do you think those types of venues worked so well for you guys? Is because we were awesome, uh, the right <laughs> answer? <laughs> yes, of course it is. Uh, you know, the college, the college kid. Well, it was like you're a party band, or they saw it as that in the available shows we have in the archive. There's a, quite a, a preponderance of of those college towns. but um, I would say it's probably just because those are the ones that maybe got recorded yeah. because they were probably being put on by some students in the, the, you know, the arts or the... I would say the only real difference is that for some reason the college atmosphere was more likely to actually get recorded. I mean, you're not going to... Most clubs aren't just until Jay started making his board tapes and all that, mm-hmm. um, aren't going to maybe get recorded. I don't know. Right. Interesting. You didn't record every show. I'm learning that. No, we you recorded know. a lot of shows. We recorded a lot of rehearsals and shit. We recorded as much as we conceivably could. Mm-hmm. So if we go on to um, the recording of Across the Universe, Matt was pretty, um, he's pretty candid about he felt kind of miserable during that recording, where he felt like the vision of his big major first major album, he had this vision of, of what he saw himself as. Like, and, and it was like more of, it turned out to be more of not what he expected, maybe. Do you have any recollection of sort of that vibe in the studio with that album? Yep. Yep. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I mean, he was forthright with, he's like, he just admitted, he's like, I was miserable and I I was probably not in a good mood for a lot of that. We all, I think we all had our sort of our turns of, well, actually, maybe not John, but I had my turn of being miserable earlier on. Um, In that recording or just in the band? No, in the band, like when I first moved there, it was a very difficult transition. Mm. But we were way past it. So I I just I remember, well, any studio experience, like I said, I think it just seems to, well, not Gok, not the Apple Hitman or I experience, but yeah, I don't know what would happen with Cross the Universe, but the big studio, big producer, high expectations, a lot of pressure. There, there were... Um, I mean, we always had, and, and maybe this is part of why we were good, but we that we always had, you know, a, a strong dynamic, you know, for mm-hmm. better or worse, for the good part about the strong dynamic and the bad part about the strong dynamic. It's like, you know, like a family. You're just so closely tied, but then there's family drama, and you don't always uh, agree, or not everyone's always reasonable. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just... It's kind of just how it went, especially with people that you're so close, you know, you're you're with so yeah. much. Um, so I, I do remember that there was some better and worse moments, and I don't have a lot of specific recollection, but there's a lot of pressure to get things just right, that, mm-hmm. you know, analysis to paralysis and all that sort of thing. I'm not pinning it on anyone i'm not pinning it on matt i'm just i think it's any 
I think most bands probably go through something like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Where, um, yeah, and also you're, this is the first time you're recording with someone else having sort of an agenda onto your material, right? Like re- the re-recording of, of Pearl, for instance. Who, whose idea was that? Um, you'll have to refresh my memory when you say re-recording. Well, Pearl... Oh, Pearl, it's on IU Shakespeare's, and it came out on... Um, the Pearl was on Applehead Man, and then it also was on Across the Universe. Oh, uh, yeah, that was supposed to be the single. That was, you know, that was like a, the record company, A&R guy. Yeah, that, that hit, woo. I don't know why the hell they didn't just pick Toolmaster. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> well, and two, I think that the the original uh, guys that we signed that can talk us into signing up with A and M, I don't even think they were still there by the time the record came out. Yeah, by the time it was released, hmm. the guys that signed us had had already moved on. I mean, there was a lot of high turnover in record companies. Yeah, yeah. I don't even know, well, I don't even know how passionate they were about us. I, I almost felt like it was more, the whole getting signed thing seemed like it just ended up in a bidding war type of thing because we were sought after. And the, it's like the record companies were competing against each other, not competing for us. Right. And so it's... In your in your final choice, so it was, I mean that's a nice a nice position to be in, where the band is the one who chooses, right? That's kind of rare, I think, and it must have felt gratifying to f- be you know part of a feeding frenzy, as they call it. The uh, feeding frenzy was gratifying for me personally. The end result was not because I'll just be candid and say I. I a&M wouldn't have been my first choice. Oh, yeah? Yeah, so there was that, too, as the band where we each had our own opinions on which it, it caused tension between us because we had different opinions of which label we would be best served by. Right, and what we... I mean, we came, came to a consensus because we had to all agree, mm-hmm. but it was... It was it was a painful process. In fact, one of my postcards, the part I didn't put in my email about my postcards was I'm, I actually have postcards where I'm writing about this debate on which label and it's, mm-hmm. it's so difficult, and, you know, and I did say something like when I said the decisions were made with going with A&M, I also added it's finally over. We're just going to do A&M, you know, like, it, it was it was tough. Sounds like it, it was stressful. Oh yeah. Yeah. And what were your criteria of which like for why you wanted a different label for yourself? Well, I don't know. I mean, excuse me. I'm afraid if I talk about that, I don't want to sound blamey. And I mean, it's no. Yeah, it's all in the past, and we only we celebrate the the glory now. But it's fun to understand the process of how things evolved i would have chosen geffen mm-hmm. because the one of chip hooper was with geffen and he was one of the original uh founders of the booking agency with his partner dave mm-hmm. that had built us from the ground up in the midwest 
So I felt like he, he had passion for us. And he had actually left Minnesota, moved out to the West Coast, and got a job with Gaffin. Okay. And this is the real... <laughs> I remember we, we met him at their super awesome spread in Monterey, and Aerosmith was on Geffen, right. and he told us, if, if you agree to sign with Geffen right now, we're going to get you on a plane, and you're going to go out and meet Aerosmith. And I was like, ah. <laughs> <laughs> they're like one of my most, the, Aerosmith is my number one rock band, period. Okay. And Joey Kramer is my number one drummer, and like, that, that was like the words, when he said that, it was like, the, that would have been dream come true. Right. So not only that, I mean, it wasn't just that one Aerosmith thing, but that, um, you know, I thought he had passion for us. And, uh, you know, I'm not, I'm not going to put down the A&M guys. Maybe they had more passion for us than was obvious to me, but I had a more stick to our roots go with the crew that grew us from scratch that would have that was my preference huh. but I don't, like i said i don't i don't want this to sound no no i don't think I, I don't i'm think hesitant to express these these because i don't even think this has ever been talked about at least not that i've talked about right well um no it is interesting because you know i you know the movie sliding doors I do not. Oh, where it's like, it's an old, I think it's, is it old Gwyneth Paltrow movie where it's like, it's two alternate realities and one of them, she misses the subway and then the other one, she gets the subway. Oh, and it blows like, up or something. And you, <laughs> well, no, you see what happens to her life had she not stopped four seconds before the subway door and let it go. So it's almost like this kind of like, what would have happened you know, you can't live that way. It's like, what if? But Well, does oh, anything explode? If there's no explosions, no. it's not a good movie, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, it's uh, it's a basically, she gets on the subway and she meets a guy and her life changes. And when she doesn't get on the subway, she doesn't meet the guy. It's, sort of, it's a romantic movie, but... What's it called? Sliding Doors? It's called Sliding Doors. It's really good. I will watch it. Yeah. I'm kidding about the explosions. Right. <laughs> But yeah, so this, so now we're talking about across the universe and you guys are, the album's out. We know, I know it came out April of 90 and pretty sure it was April 6th, 1990. So here's my big question that I somehow forgot to ask John and Matt so far. Why? Didn't you get stuck on a bill with some huge act and tour with them, like as a support act for a much bigger act to get get some more footing? Was that ever talked about? Yes. What was John's answer? <laughs> well, no, I I forgot to ask him, and then oh, so I feel there must be a reason. I mean, you guys had such a great core Midwestern following, and the others that you talked about, but. But to me, that seems like something to kind of expand. What, uh, what, what was, what's your opinion on why that didn't happen? I declined to answer. Oh, somebody didn't want to. Matt didn't want to. 
maybe I'll, I'll, I'll get Matt back again for another episode and I'll just ask him. Is that what you think I should ask Matt? I think you should ask Matt. It was a, it was a conscious choice and it was a strategy. And I think part of it was that we had this like really loyal kind of grateful dead, like following. And I, as far as not being the, the act that, you know, nobody sees on the big tour because you're still, you know, driving, smoking pot in the car on the way to the concert. Um, I don't know. I guess we just didn't want to play to quarter-filled big venues to people that didn't really care about the care about us. So I think there was there was passion for the fans that we had mm. that kind of wanted to keep it intimate for them. That's kind of how I remember it. And so the theory would be just kind of stay the course with the kind of core, but just to keep expanding that core, hopefully, right? Yeah. Well, it's interesting because, you know, in the years since, you know, before this archive or anything, but talking about, oh my, they were, this is my favorite band when I was like 18 to 22, and I was just completely obsessed and I loved all their music and and I try to convey it like I, I play it oh listen to this song and I play something off of uh, Are You Experienced and people are kind of like ah, I don't get it I don't get it and then actually I think it was I sh- my wife in 2003 4 we moved in together and I you know I have got my records out and I'm like listen to Trip Shakespeare and then she didn't get it. But then recently she saw a video and saw the energy and saw the quirkiness and saw you uh, and what you do and how it's presented. And then she listened to a couple songs and she's like, oh, okay, I get it. I get it. And I feel like it's just one of those bands you had to see, right? You can't, No, I don't think anyone's going to listen to Pearl on the radio and be like, holy shit, right? right? I mean, no offense, but uh, I'm, I doubt if you're offended, but... <laughs> yeah. um, or like, you know, Bachelorette. It's like you see the Bachelorette video, and you're like, what is this? You know, Yeah, that's how I feel. <laughs> <laughs> so, so far, that's uh, unanimous with everybody else. The Pearl video is yes. really cool. That was but here's, here's a fun fact okay. of anytime you see... A video with it involves an animal. It's almost guaranteed that one of the band members was hurt in some way by oh. the animal while they were making the video. <laughs> so who was who got stepped on by that horse? <laughs> that was me. I actually didn't get stepped on. I got um, crushed by the horse, <gasps> and I was hurt a little bit. Um, well, you know the the old. It was in this field. It was old farmhouse. Mm-hmm. And old farmhouses have really narrow doors, and the door was open. the The horse was in the room. You can see, in, kind of in the video, where they're dumping the pearls and for. And the I was supposed to lead the horse out from the house into the field, which you do see on the video. And the producer is like, nice and slow, like in a dream. Well, I knew it was supposed to be nice and slow. The horse did not. And me and the horse tried to get out the door at the same time. But the horse, like, 
rushed faster and I couldn't get out the door in front of it and it pinned me in the doorway oh. and kind of crushed me against the frame and, and the, the horse went out while I was like squashed up against the, uh, <laughs> the door frame. So I was fine. We carried on. Oh man. Well, that was, that sounds terrifying. It was a little scary. Horses are scary. Generally. I, I love horses. Um, you should have smelled us at the end of the day. We all smelled like very horsey, earthy horse smell. It was mm -hmm. great. I loved it. That's funny. Wow. I wasn't hurt that bad, but it was a scary moment. And mm -hmm. I remember, I think it was the Dixie Chicks. They had some video with a dog, and one of the band members was bitten by the dog. And so it's it's almost guaranteed that was like the animal goes south at some point. That's why they invented insurance, right? <laughs> um so okay so we're getting through 1990 and across the universe is out and you guys try with the pearl it's your first single and then i think was it gone 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 or it was the crane was the second single does that sound right i think the crane was the next one it, it's, it's starting to be a blur a at that blur. point to be honest with you like I, well, decisions on singles and i'm like uh i I don't recall. The My order. memories don't work that way. Okay. Well, I'm. I can. I can sort of piece it together based on kind of what, uh, you know, maxi singles or whatever were released. I'm pretty sure. Yeah, Pearl was the single when the album came out, and then a couple months later, uh, they put Crane was the next single because that was when that uh, CD that had the Crane, and then there was three or four songs from a live show like the big long Applehead man jam live. oh that was awesome that's amazing that recording that CD. was that was yeah. great um and and then gone 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 was the next one i think there was just three attempts at a single and then what was the temperature inside the band when? What year are we on now? We're we're we're, we're, we're in nineteen ninety. Across the universe and and Lulu, right? Yeah, we're we're sort of seeing across the universe is probably running run its course, and right. and then it's time to look at recording the next thing, which Lulu came out. Uh, it was the day before my birthday in 1991. So I know I remember that very well. So September 4th, 1991 was Lulu. So you figure your must have been spring, winter and spring of 91. You guys were recording the next record and at Pachyderm. Oh, yeah. Where, and with the, you know, the famous thing where you were raising a, a cat out back frying pan the cat oh so at this point in our conversation elaine and i realized how much time had elapsed and we we took a, a five minute break rehydrated and um i'm telling you this because when we return she doesn't immediately talk about frying pan the cat but we do get there so here is our conversation resumed a few minutes later. I appreciate you taking so much time to do this with me. And I'm sorry oh, if I'm oh. being an interview hog or whatever. No, are you kidding? Elaine, oh my gosh. I feel so 
I don't know, honored and, and lucky that you, if you don't do interviews hardly ever and that I'm the one you said yes to. So, damn. Well, thank you. And I, I hope I am representing what fans want to know because, gosh, there's so many people who care about you and what you did and the band. It's amazing to me because, I mean, I now live in a world where no one's ever heard of Shakespeare. <laughs> well, that I'm, I'm on a mission to... to alleviate that a bit and to also give the old fans who still care so much like a home base you know in fact it was just today i saw a facebook post trip shakespeare they were all so good looking <laughs> and, uh and she posted a a video of something from the 91 that that tv special oh that was awesome that tv show yeah yeah and then but that's the funny thing too a little side note all the almost all the photos uh, used of you and on all these little like thumbnails, you know, on the archive, they were almost all from the same show. <laughs> but and I I changed the color of the background and like your top and things to make it seem like make it, it was... look like I have more than one shirt. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like I swear it's not just that blue sparkly thing every time. <laughs> um, I thought you'd get a kick out of. No, I that, do. But, um, okay, so. We are recording Lulu now. You still have another, what, do you have a two-record deal? Like, minimum two records? Do you remember? Then, we, yeah, we had, um, oh, geez. How was this structured? It was way more than two. It was, like, um, as many as they wanted to make, kind of. I see. At, um, at their discretion. But, see, this is very interesting like my perspective is how we lived it and our life was on the road mm -hmm. and for people listening, especially now, cause it's way in the past that they go by, you know, like records. And, but as far as the, the whole era, mm -hmm. I don't even remember thinking about the record at all. We were touring, we were touring our butts off, we were doing great, really professional tours, we were getting around the whole country, we were having great audiences everywhere we went, I was wearing a different outfit every day, you know, mm -hmm. like it, it was, um, <laughs> we, were, we were being in parts of the country that we had never been, uh, you know, we were finally getting out to the West Coast, up in Oregon and Seattle, and we, we actually... When we drove from Seattle, Portland, down to California, we went the long way through the Redwood Forest. And so I don't remember really, like, my feeling and recollection is we made a record, it went out, and whatever else happened, whatever, we're, we're touring, we're playing, we're just doing our thing. Mm -hmm. I don't remember thinking about records a lot. Once it was done, then it was done. And then it became the time to make the next record. Right. Because your, your kind of touring life was hadn't changed. I mean, you were just constantly playing, right? So the record doing, uh, performing well on the charts or however, you know, people want to think about it didn't, I mean, of course it was something you aspired to, but the fact that it 
wasn't happening like that, you're still just doing the same thing you were doing. Is that kind of what you're saying? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, we, I remember every now and then we'd get some record sales numbers. I remember when we were up to 75,000 and (laughs) I I remember being disappointed that it wasn't taken off. We were, we were disappointed on the one hand, the record wasn't taken off, but we were still selling out clubs and having people drive eight, 10 hours or flying from wherever to see us in some city. And so we, we still had that. And that to me, that that was the part we were living. The Mm -hmm. the record sales was very abstract business numbers and not that we wouldn't have liked to have sold records had a big hit, but it, we, we were disappointed, but we weren't, I wasn't real focused on it. I mean, maybe, maybe like this from a songwriter standpoint, they were more focused on, on it that way, but it, it wasn't for me. Maybe this is, you know, the just the drummer thing, but uh, that that's my perspective. Right. Hmm. So the the experience of recording Lulu seemed like it was it was different. It felt different than the pressure you felt with Cross Universe. That's what Matt alluded to. I mean, because we were at this awesome house. They had a pool in the house with a fireplace. Like, oh, it was awesome. <laughs> Um, and I remember, oh, so back to the cats, frying, no, frying pan was my cat that lived, that I adopted at my house. Actually, I adopted her very early on in 1986. And so she was my cat up until I moved him back home to Massachusetts in 1995. In fact, I took her with me from Minneapolis back home. We drove cross country together. Um, and that was when I decided to move. That was when Shakespeare was over. And that was when I was like, all right, I'm coming home for good. And I actually left frying pan with my mother. So she didn't keep going back. And I drove back to Minneapolis and sold my affairs and packed my stuff and came home. So frying pan was my cat and I had her the whole time I was in trip Shakespeare. I do remember there was a litter of feral cats or something that lived in the woods around Pachyderm Studio because it was out in the woods of farm country and wooded country. And it was, I think, a river behind the, on the grounds. And uh, so I I remember something about there being some feral cats out there or something, but. um, Yeah, it's in, uh, I think it was in one of the the newsletters Matt wrote about. Uh, you midwifing the the cats that were some of these. There's a cat litter out back. Maybe I'm mixing stories or something with. Fry, I thought frying pan was a that was frying pan, but. This, so oh this, no! This is the kind of important stuff we find out. <laughs> <laughs> I can tell you, I can recite the names of all my cats. Frying pan was my first cat. That was my kitty. Like I had cats growing up, but frying pan was my first kitty. And then after her came Hazel. Then Jojo, and they passed on, and now I have Pearl, uh, Danny, and Floyd. Nice. And are, are, what kind of cats are they? Frying Pan was a fluffy black kitty. Hazel was a regular tiger kitty. Jojo was a calico. And my three kitties now are actually all related, and they're Siamese. Pearl and Danny are full sisters, and Floyd is their great nephew. 
Wow. A uh, pearl and put a snowshoes, a snowshoe Siamese. Is that a type of cat? A snowshoe? Yeah, it's like a new sort of spin-off breed of Siamese where their okay. their feet a white tip. They have some amount of white on their face to their feet. It the snowshoe comes from the white tipped white feet, but otherwise they're they look like Siamese. Okay. Wow. And they're awesome. They're super smart, they're very energetic, they jump. One of Very them, high. the first time you stepped away, uh, <laughs> one of them came, I heard it meow into the mic, but I had paused the recording and I was so mad that I missed the cat meowing. <laughs> so I think that would have been a great way to like open it, just here. <laughs> yeah, we, we can probably get them to, they do a lot of meowing. The Sunnies are very talkative. <sighs> it was great. A good moment. I, maybe, maybe we'll get a cat to meow at the very end here, but... Um, so you recorded Lulu, and and it's a different experience. It felt like it was a much more organic, let's just kind of just set all of our toys up around us and go for it. Let's get weird. And there's a lot of interludes, a lot of like atmospheric interludes that, that kind of cross songs into each other. I don't know, was that spontaneous or was that edited in at the end? Or I'm not sure. I honestly don't remember, don't remember that. Um, but so Lulu came out September 91. You're still touring. At some point, what the, the label had to, what, how did it work? Did you, how, how did, what happened? What happened, Elaine? What happened? Okay. So we had a good experience with the studio. We were in this beautiful place that more fitted our personalities with the woods and nature and all that. Um, but things were going south with A&M mm -hmm. and they, I think they, their hearts didn't seem to really be in it. There was a disaster with the artwork where we had these, the pick, the, the cover of Lulu is horrible. And Dan had, he had this beautiful, well, I shouldn't say it that way. It's a little overly negative. So let me. That's fine. I, 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 <laughs> it's not my favorite. <laughs> Dan had beautiful paintings, which had the red waves yeah. and this and that. And we had these clothes made for us. Oh, wow. With really rich fabrics and bright colors. My dress was this really bright not obnoxious bright pink, but a really rich, deep pink with gold beads. And the the men had shirts specially made. And we took pictures out in the in the field to be with the greenery. And it was beautiful. And then they send us back black and white <laughs> pictures. Wow. And we're like, what the fuck? Yeah. <laughs> and and there was a, there was and Dan if uh, I don't know if you've been talked to him about this yet but he because he was our point person on the artwork okay um but and we had this vision we had the we had a, the vision of how the artwork would match the setting in which we were making this and it just was a disaster and they come back and they they made the we black and white photo and it was awful and. 
we we had a tremendous amount of bureaucratic difficulties dealing with the A and M art department. Really, and it got to the point where there was a decision that it was too late to redo the artwork and meet our release date. Uh, if we redid the artwork, the record would be delayed like another six months. Mm. And I don't know why it had to be that difficult, but apparently it was. And so we had to suck it up and accept the terrible artwork in order to get to not have an even much longer delay on getting right. the record out. I see. Right, because the, the the album cover having yeah, it's like you have Dan's Dan's great wave painting that wasn't utilized, but I mean it was it's on there, but it's just smaller. But the picture to me, the album to me, looks like somebody at the label was like, "No, the band has to be on the front." Uh, and, that might have been it. I don't. You know, yeah. it's like, and then they got the pictures of you guys on the back. You're not even together. It's like individual portraits. So it's a bit hodgepodgey. And then there's a factory. Uh, it didn't. Yeah, it didn't. It doesn't have that iconic kind of quality that the other ones have perhaps yeah. so i could see i could see uh, that is makes sense that you guys were not totally happy with it but the music is amazing and god just you know like graveyard like these really rich passionate songs your mouth um you know it still has that all that quirk and but i do notice also it felt like the some of it like the arrangements were kind of smoothed out a bit. Like some of the quirk was taken away. Choices being made of arrangements that are just like, oh, maybe it just, you know, the song had been around enough, long enough that you're just like, oh, I think this would sound good this way. I you think remember? it was more the last one that yeah. the songs were played for a long time, that they just evolved or devolved or whatever you want right. to call it, that they, they changed over time or we started playing it faster or slower or we tried acoustic or we tried a different take on it and that was um that was kind of normal mm -hmm. and i guess whichever one we were happy with at whatever time it got recorded is the way it got recorded right so uh the tour in 91 you guys are still doing that the, cir the circuit you still there yeah i wanted to interject Yes, please. So just to add on to the last thing I said, it wasn't as if we were playing the quirky Jill can drive live and changed it for the studio. Mm. We would have been playing it the same live at the time as we recorded it at the time. Because, yeah, in that, in that one, it's sort of the song ends and then it kind of, you kind of break into the old version on the recording. I'm not, I don't know how, when the last time you listened to those recordings, but um, it's kind of alluded to at the end, like you guys kind of come back into that the the quirk groove. I don't yeah. have to. Go. I don't listen to them. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. So I mean, you, do you? Yeah, do you? When was the last time you put on just a record to listen to, or you don't? You just don't. Of Trip Shakespeare. Yeah. Maybe listening to this stuff on the archive is the first time in a while. Yes, a long while. I remember. Mm -hmm. Checking out the bonus tracks of the Omnivore bonus tracks when they mm. came out, and that was probably the last time 
until this archive that I listen to any of our recordings. So every now and then somebody throw a YouTube up or something. Mm -hmm. By the way, back to that omnivore. Yes. I feel I was a little disappointed with, uh, we were talking about how Car is such a strange, quirky song that got on there. And I think when you put, and you would know as making records, the order the songs go in matter. Mm-hmm. And you set a mood and, you know, it progress the progression from this song to that song. It has a flow that can either enhance or detract or interrupt the songs. And the order that they ended up on, on the Omnivore re-releases, was not the order that we envisioned they would end up in. Mm. And I feel like like putting in this super slow, super bizarre song, it fit in the concept in the flow of the song order when we made the decision. But it, when the record came out, I was surprised the order was seemed to be all over the place and not at all what we had expected. Hmm. I don't want to be seem critical, though, because the fact that they even got out at all is amazing. And Cheryl was awesome. And I'm super grateful that it even happened at all. So yeah. I'm really nitpicking when I go on song order. But I, because like I mentioned, when we first talked about Ka, that I was like, I had advocated that that should be included. Mm-hmm. And then when I heard it back, it just didn't seem to fit. And I kind of regretted my uh, enthusiasm for it, you know, getting it on there. And then, but I, th- I think if it had been in the, order that we it might have flowed better hmm it's your yeah your your perspective on it so that's that's interesting uh i mean i it's just a coincidence like three days ago one of my good buddies back from ohio texted me because when he i he had just looked through the archive for the first time and was like he's an old trip shakespeare fan too and it got him reinterested and he started listening to the old stuff and he started listening he bought the reissue stuff and he's like dude i'm obsessed with this song car it's so cool and weird and you know <laughs> i'm texting back i know right <laughs> <laughs> but john played john actually played me that uh like in 20 2013 i was doing a gig with john and in my thing in colorado and you guys, I think you must have been a, f- a good way into the process of that re-release. And he just played me a little snippet of a, on his phone. And it kind of, it just brought that feeling back. So I, I think it's a great choice. But I, I hear what you mean about the, you know, you, you didn't quite think the, the, the sequencing was perfect. But, you know, when, you know, bonus tracks, it's just bonus tracks. Yep. So, but the album's fantastic you know of course i told john this too are you shakespeareans was the first album i ever listened to over and over and over in a row like i had i think i had i had i was one of those 12 album sales in dayton ohio that day (laughs) and i still have my copy actually i scanned my copy of of that to do some of the artwork on the website so how about that (laughs) that's Uh, awesome so yeah, so I had that on a tape. I listened to that when I finished the album, and I would put the tape in, flip the tape, and listen again. 
like over and over and over. And that was the first album I ever had that I experienced that. And it's exactly what you're saying, how important sequencing is. Because the way, like after Toolmaster ends and then that first chord of Vines hits, it's like you're just, you're just deep in the album. And it's so glorious. Like you have your favorite records where one song ends and you can already hear the next song in your head before it starts. Yeah, the journey. Yeah, it's it's that it's that experience. So we are we're in Lulu. Any other thoughts about Lulu or we talked about the album art and and then you guys were back on the road again. The the label you got dropped. Did they? What, how did you find out? Was it a slow, painful breakup, or was it just like one day surprise? No more tour support, or I don't know. How did it go? Um, let me think. What year are we in now? Like ninety two. Yeah, it would be early ninety two. Probably if yeah, that came out in September. Um, this single that your mouth was the single. My recollection is strange because, like I say, we weren't hyper-focused. I wasn't hyper-focused on this record stuff, but there was a lot of personal things going on. Uh, You mean as far as, like, relationships with each other or outside of the band? All of it. The whole everything. People feeling depressed or anxious or... I think that this is probably a time that you're going to get a very different perspective from each of the four of us on what was happening. And a lot of it was probably also related to what was happening to us each personally. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was going through, uh, you know, the my postcard recipient was no longer my postcard recipient. Gotcha. I was breaking up and I had to move. Oh, I was someone I lived with for, for most of the time, the trip share was moving, and uh, there was some there was relationship drama going on with me personally, mm-hmm. and um, as far as but we were touring, we're doing our thing. On the other hand, musically, it was a great time. Like I, I felt like we were. We just got better and better and better and better and better. We never stopped getting better. And at that around that time, we really had just sort of peaked as a group of musicians. Mm. We could, it, you know, we just sort of like, it's almost like we were psychically connected that we could anticipate each other's uh, musical changes and, and jamming and, and like you can hear that, I think, in the archive. If you go up to like how we grooved together in the the '90s versus the earlier, not that we didn't groove, but it's just, it, we just had really, I felt, gelled as a group of musicians. And, oh, yeah. and I was at the peak of my drumming. We all just were were peaking individually as a group musically, and it was great. And then it just came crashing down, and. I don't even know what happened. Um, I know that Matt, it, it's, there was, Matt became, I mean, I'm, I can't really speak for him on this, but I think that the experience that, that the, the, the experience of the songwriting 
was different than the experience of the musicality. It's like we were peaking musically, but there was another dynamic related to songwriting, and there was another dynamic related to the record label and our the business, and it was just it just kind of came crashing down. And I guess I would say it was a slow process. But part of the process might have been hidden from me because I'm sort of dealing with personal drama, and then mm. I'm thinking, "Wow, we're we're playing better than we ever have." <laughs> right. So, oh, wait a minute. Oh, what what just happened? You know. And I personally was I was thrilled that they them dropped us because I they they sought and. I saw this as a great opportunity. I'm like, hallelujah, we're out from under all this debt. They can take the black and white photos and move on from that. <laughs> you know. <laughs> and I was like, finally, we can get on a label that maybe will do something for us and have passion for us. And I, I was like ready for the new beginning, and hmm. it didn't happen. So the end. The end. Not quite. There will be an Elaine Part Three. But gosh, what a what a gift to have uh, Elaine speak so freely and openly about things. And what I mean, it's an obvious thing to say, but gosh, what a, a different point of view from each member we, we're getting here. All part of the puzzle. So thank you, Elaine. Um, yeah, that's it, really. So thanks for listening. True Shakespeareansers, enjoy the archive. Enjoy the new stuff. There is even more stuff coming. So hang in there. We're gonna we're gonna milk it out because you know there is a limited supply. But uh, we've learned how to milk in milking school. All right, that's it. What am I supposed to say here? I have a catchphrase. But then I found out some news guy says the same thing, but I'm gonna say it. This is Morgan Taylor, your webmaster of Brainerd. Take care of yourselves and each other.